0: Welcome to the Ellis Martin Report. During this broadcast, you will learn of potential investment opportunities involving publicly traded companies. These companies have paid us for exposure on this program. We ask that before you consider any possible investment choice, do your own research. You can begin the research process by visiting our website, ellismartinreport.com. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with Jordan Trimble, the President and CEO of Rockridge Resources, trading as ROCK on the TSX Venture Exchange. Rockridge Resources is a new public mineral exploration company focused on the acquisition, exploration, and development of mineral resource properties in Canada, specifically copper and battery metal projects. The company's flagship project is the Knife Lake Project, located in Saskatchewan, which is ranked as one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. Jordan, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. You've got copper, you have zinc, you have silver, and a little gold, I understand, in Saskatchewan. Let's talk about Rock Ridge Resources
1: project that we've acquired and the flagship project for the company is a polymetallic historical resource. That the project's called Knife Lake, and, and there is a historical deposit there, uh, which I'll get into. The primary metal is copper, and this is a new company. It IPO'd last year. It's a new story. It is a copper and base metal company with projects in Canada. What we did with this company coming out of the gates here is we took a top-down approach, and we recognized that there's an opportunity specifically in copper going forward. We think that the commodity, the metal price is going to have a good three to five years in front of us. And there's a number of reasons, both on the demand side and the supply side for that. But specifically for Rockridge as an exploration and discovery story, we want to go into good jurisdictions like Canada, North America, jurisdictions that are brownfield jurisdictions. So they've had a long history of mining and exploration development in the area. They're prolific mining jurisdictions jurisdictions in favorable areas. We want to go in and we want to make those new higher grade discoveries, particularly again with copper and base metal. So that's what we went out set to do here with Rockridge. We just announced first project acquisition late last year, Knife Lake, as I mentioned, and we've just commenced our first diamond drill program of a thousand meters on the project. Just announced that a couple days ago. That's the latest news on the company.
0: So this is not exactly moose pasture then, Jordan?
1: No, it's not. It's in the broader Flin Flon camp, Flin Flon being a well-known mining town in Manitoba. The project that we've acquired is northwest of Flin Flon in Saskatchewan. But the Flin Flon mining camp is well-known for VMS deposits, high-grade, and larger VMS deposits. There's been a long history of mining in the camp, about 31 deposits that have been mined, over 170 million tons of sulfide ore. And it's important to note, too, because this is quite topical right now, in the industry. The timeline to production, something to note here in Flin Flon, that over 50% of deposits have been advanced to production, and the average time frame from discovery to development is typically less than seven years. So that's an important point too. You have great infrastructure in the area, over a billion six 000, 000 has been invested towards mine development with rail power and water infrastructure to facilitate not just development of deposits, but also new discoveries, and that's really what we're in the business of. So. Again, as I alluded to earlier, our overarching strategy with Rockridge is to go into these brownfields jurisdictions with a new look, with new exploration techniques and methodologies and go into projects that may have been overlooked but have strong exploration discovery upside potential and go in there and look to create value through the discovery process.
0: Now, copper, we're excited about because it has poly-industrial use. There's so many different applications of copper, it's never not going to be an industrial metal.
1: Correct. You know, as I said, when we looked at the metal and building this company as a copper company, as a new copper company, there were a few things that stood out to us. One, is you pointed out, industrial application of copper, and copper... Over many years, mine copper for thousands of years, everyone knows what copper is and what it's used for. But it's really in the last 20 years been tied to global economic growth, in particular, the China narrative, right? And it will continue to trade like that. That's been a big source of demand for copper has come from China and has come from the developing world as you see new middle classes being formed. But what's interesting going forward, and one of the things we highlight to investors is new demand for copper that's coming online from electric vehicles and clean or green energy. If you look at electric vehicles in particular, they use about three and a half times as much copper as a regular internal combustion engine vehicle. And we just see this trend continuing and growth in demand continuing for copper. So it's really the electrification narrative that we're interested in and that we see being that additional demand growth that's going to drive higher copper prices. And we want to be a part of that. Now, when you look at the supply side, the supply side is quite interesting because yes there are some copper is a big metal market and there's very large copper mines out there but if you look at the last 15 or 20 years, and in particular, if you look at recent discoveries or lack thereof, there really hasn't been any major high-grade, large copper discovery deposit in the last 15 years in favorable jurisdictions. And so us and our team as explorationists and as an exploration company, were out there looking for that next big copper discovery in a good jurisdiction, and that's what we're hoping to do here in Saskatchewan, and looking at other projects, not just in Saskatchewan, but in the broader Flin Flon jurisdiction.
0: You just announced that you're commencing a diamond drill program at the Knife Lake Copper VMS Project in Saskatchewan. Let's talk about that and the excitement based around it potentially.
1: Absolutely. So had a chance to see the news. As I mentioned, this is our first diamond drill program on the project on our flagship Knife Lake project. Just a quick history of the project and overview of the project I think is important first. As I mentioned, this project really fits the bill for us. Again, it's in a well-known Mining jurisdiction. It's been overlooked really for the last 20 years. It's got quite an interesting history. Discovery, the deposit there was discovered in the late 1960s. It's a topographic high, so it stuck out like a sore thumb. They went in, they made the discovery. They spent the next really 30 years, various operators of the project delineating a shallow within 100 meters deposit at this topographic high and so the focus was really just kind of one dimensional they didn't do a lot of regional work they didn't look much deeper than 100 meters and so they really just scratched the surface now the historical resource there it's non NI 43-101 but it's nonetheless a resource of about 11 million tons grading 0.75% copper and it also has a cobalt silver and zinc credit as well. So what we're looking to do on this project, because it did not have a lot of work after 2001. And the reason for that is simple. It was in a company that basically went under in 2001 as we went through one of the worst metal markets ever. The company had a cease trade order uh, against it. So essentially this project was just orphaned for the better part of the 2000s before winding up in a gold company whereby the gold company was focused on gold projects, not on copper or base metal projects. And so again this project basically sat there on the back burner and was simply overlooked. It was a bizarre situation a few years ago where the company that owned this project simply did not file the paperwork to renew the mining lease and as a result of that these claims opened up. And that's how we were able to get a deal done to have an option to earn in 100% on this project. Uh, and we've just announced that again several months ago. So that's the history on the project, and that's important because what we see now is an opportunity to go into a project that had a fair bit of historical work, but it was limited to one area on the project and relatively shallow, and it was all work done before 2001, so using outdated exploration techniques, equipment, and methodology. And so we are now going back into this project with a new look with new techniques and some new thinking and we think that we can uncover make more discoveries not just around the historical resource where we're drilling right now or below it but also in the region it's an eighty-five thousand hectare project we have a big property package and i'll note just on the geology i don't want to get into too much detail but as a vms deposit you typically never find them in isolation, they usually come in clusters and in particular the Knife Lake deposit is a remobilized VMS deposit which means it's come from a primary source. That primary source has not been found yet and that's one of the things we would like to find on this project as well as potentially finding satellite deposits or clusters of deposits nearby. So we can use new techniques, new exploration methods to go and do that and that's what we're starting to do here with this first drill program followed by a summer exploration program. lots of news flow coming up over the next six months.
0: Jordan, tell us about the share structure of this company. You're currently trading near 26 cents Canadian, which is about 21 US.
1: Yeah, the share structure is one of the highlight talking points right now, given it's a new company, recently IPO'd, it's very well structured. There's about 25 million shares issued and outstanding. We just closed a financing, oversubscribed financing for $730,000. That will cover all of our exploration budget and drilling budget this year. And that puts the treasury just under $2 million million. Canadian, so well-funded with, again, about 25 million shares issued and outstanding. The public float within that is much smaller. So it's worth noting management and insiders own a large portion of that. And we have some other larger shareholders and blocks that are out there and some institutional investors as well. So very well-structured. And getting to the management team, I think it's worth noting because this is one of the most important ingredients for success with these companies. We've been assembling a team. There's been some notable additions in the last several months, one of which is Ron Natalitsky, who's a Canadian Mining Hall of Famer. He's credited with discovering SK Creek in BC, as well as the SNP Deposit and Brewery Creek, a very, very well-known exploration geologist in the industry and has had a lot of success. He's come on as a strategic advisor and a large shareholder of the company, and then just more recently announced the appointment of Joe Gallucci as a director of the company. He's come on, and Joe was uh, an investment banker. He was a principal of a firm, Eight Capital, where he led their mining investment banking for several years. He is very knowledgeable when it comes to base metal companies in Canada. He knows this area, this VMS jurisdiction, very well. He's raised over a billion dollars for Canadian mining companies through his career so he's an important addition to the team and he rounds out the team with myself Jim Pettit a director of the company and several others on the board and so we're building a team to run the company that have focused expertise in base metal copper and base metal exploration and development in Canada.
0: Well Jordan it's always a pleasure to speak with you I look forward to more news when you have it thanks so much for joining me today on the program good luck to you. I've been speaking with Jordan Trimble, the president and CEO of Rockridge Resources, trading as ROCK on the TSX Venture Exchange. For more information on Rockridge Resources, go to the company's website, rockridgeresourcesltd.com. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with Robert Mintak, the CEO of Standard Lithium, trading as SLL on the TSX Venture Exchange and in the U.S. on the OTCQX as STLHF. Standard Lithium is focused on unlocking the value of existing large-scale U.S.-based brine resources that potentially can be brought into production quickly. The company's flagship project is located in southern Arkansas, the 150,000 plus acre Lanxis project is in the prolific and productive Smackover Brine region. By securing access to the strategic resource through agreements with the area's largest commercial brine operator, Standard Lithium is able to utilize the extensive existing infrastructure, including brine supply and disposal pipelines, water, power, and a trained workforce to fast track project development timelines. I met with Robert recently at the Roth Capital Conference at the Ritz Carlton Hotel in Dana Point,
2: California.
0: Robert, welcome back to the program here at the Ritz-Carlton in Dana Point, California.
2: It's nice to see you again, Alice, and thanks for taking time to talk about lithium with me.
0: Let's talk about the Smackover Project in Arkansas. That's the real story right now.
2: Yeah, no, we are getting a lot of attention in the industry. The Smackover Project, or we've come up with a new name for it, it's now called the Lanxus Project. The Lanxus Project is the most advanced and largest lithium brine project in the United States. Who are Lanxus? Lanxus is a global specialty chemical company, one of the top five chemical companies in Europe. They also happen to have the largest brine processing facilities in North America, in southern Arkansas. The brine processing facilities they have in southern Arkansas are 150,000 acres of permanent operations, producing 120 million barrels a year of brine. They're recovering bromine from it, but that brine is rich in lithium. And Standard Lithium's signed a joint venture term sheet agreement with Lanxus to develop the lithium aspect of that project.
0: You know, I think I said this to you in a meeting last night, casual meeting over a beer, actually, if you want to call it a meeting, that you're probably, and it's been a tough space for lithium in general, but you're probably the best deal. I know we're both biased, at least in North America, in the space because of the fact that this is a major industrial company Producing chemicals, and a byproduct is this lithium brine that's marketable immediately. This German company's taken a real interest in your project.
2: We're in a very fortunate position. We've built the company to really define the fastest way to go into production, and by that narrow focus, we've been able to align ourselves with a global chemical company. Huge market cap. They're a $6 billion market cap. 19,000 employees globally. 79 chemical plants. But most importantly, the project in Arkansas is already, by and large, fully baked. It's permitted operations, been in production for 50 years, and what we're proposing to do is bolt on a lithium extraction facility to those existing operations. And part of the, really, the highlight of what's attractive about Standard Lithium, of course I'm biased, is the agreement that we put together with Lanxis is that we need a proof of concept that the tech technology we've developed can extract lithium from their brine stream. But subject to that proof of concept coming into play and a positive feasibility study, Lanxus has committed to the commercial funding of our project and also for 100% of the offtake. So that really distinguishes us from our peers in that once we get to a positive feasibility study, we don't really need to go back to the market to raise money to build the project. So very little for future dilution. You are building a pilot plant right now in Ontario, which you're going to be shipping down to Arkansas. Yeah, where we are at development wise is the resources I highlighted is really fully developed. Pipelines are in place, massive brine production is in place. The key is unlocking the lithium value from it and we need to demonstrate that to our investors and to our partner Lanxus. So we're building a pilot plant in Ontario that we will have completed around the middle of the second quarter of this year, shipping it to Arkansas, commissioning it late Q2, early Q3. So we'll have an operating extraction facility in Q3 and then that will push us toward a feasibility study and by early to mid Q2 2020 we will be in a position to make a final investment decision to go into commercial production. It's an extremely accelerated timeline when you look at comparable companies that have been in the space taking 7, 10, 12 years to get a project built.
0: So really the risk factor is almost non-existent. Can I even say that?
2: I can't say that. I can't say it's non-existent, but really the geology or the hydrogeology, to be more specific, is de-risked in that it's already in production, producing 120 plus million barrels per year, 6 billion gallons of brine per year. Pipelines are in place, permits are in place, highly skilled workforce is there, more than 500 employees. The risks really are on the extraction process that we've developed, being able to show that it is economic and scalable. Those are both things that we're very confident in, and it will be up to investors to watch our progress over the next 12 to 15 15 months, if they'd like to participate, we think we have the most exciting story in the industry.
0: And speaking of investors, the value right now may potentially be quite undervalued, the value of the company at near a dollar, am I right?
2: Yeah, the entire sector, there's uh, great opportunities for investors, not just standard lithium, but there's a number of very good projects to be looked at globally. The demand for lithium is skyrocketing. Almost everyone is down 50 to 70% from their 52-week highs. so there's a number of great opportunities to look at. I'm biased towards our project, of course. I think we're undervalued. We just uh, announced a bot deal financing a few weeks back. That should close sometime later this week. It's March the 19th today. And that funding will get us into the completion of the pilot plant and moving the pilot plant to Arkansas. We've got some very strong milestones that people can look forward to that, hopefully are reflected in uh, some inflection points in our share price.
0: Well, Robert, it's always a pleasure to see you this time in Southern California at the Roth Capital Conference. Thank you so much for joining me today in the program.
2: Thanks, Ellis. I always
0: appreciate having time to spend with you. I've been speaking with Robert Mintek, the CEO of Standard Lithium, trading as SLL on the TSX Venture Exchange and in the U.S. on the OTCQX as STLHF. For more information about Standard Lithium, go to standardlithium.com. I'm Ellis Martin, join me now for a conversation with Harry Barr, the Chairman and CEO of New Age Metals, trading as NAM on the TSX Venture Exchange and NMTLF in the U.S. New Age Metals, Incorporated is a mineral exploration company focused on the discovery, exploration and development of Canada's largest primary platinum group metals, PGM Deposit, the River Valley PGM Project, located in the Sudbury region of Northern Ontario. The company also has a lithium division with five lithium projects, of which three are drill ready. The company's philosophy is to be a project generator explorer with the objective of optioning or joint venturing their projects with major and junior mining companies through to production. Harry, welcome back to the program.
3: Thanks for having us on again, Ellis.
0: Well, it's been a while since we've had a chat. Why don't you update our audience as to what's going on with New Age Metals?
3: Well, we're moving ahead with the River Valley, which just as a reminder to the audience is the largest undeveloped primary platinum group metal deposit of its kind in North America, very close to the Sudbury Mining District, less than about 65 miles. Sudbury is one of the major mining complexes and can take our concentrates once we get the project to production in the next couple of years. We came out with a new 43-101 resource in January that the top two categories had just about two point nine 9 million ounces of palladium equivalent, and there's another resource in the inferred. We contracted two companies out of Toronto, two engineering companies, late last fall, and they're working on our first economic study, which they now call a preliminary economic assessment. So that's some of the readers in the U.S., may remember the name scoping study. That's essentially what that is. From there, we would do a pre-feasibility and then a feasibility in the project. So the preliminary economic assessment is to be out in June, and we're well into it. We've been several months working on it together with the two engineering companies we
0: hired. Well, that's a sizable reserve resource there that you have in the ground, reserved and inferred with regard to platinum. What do you think the market looks like right now for that particular resource? Let's talk about platinum and palladium.
3: Yeah, well, the primary resource, there is palladium and platinum would be second and i don't know if any of the readers are following palladium but it's breaking new eyes almost every day yesterday it hit sixteen hundred dollars plus today it depends on when you look at whether it's june or july or august but the bottom line is today it's trading around fifteen hundred and fifty dollars which is a record we're quite excited about the price of our palladium and platinum is up about nine percent this year but it's traditionally used to trade above price of gold, but it's in the 800 and some dollar range. So 82% of the use of palladium is in your auto catalysts in cars and automobiles. Seems to be tremendous demand and just a lack of supply. So that's driving the price up.
0: Even though you have a lithium division and a cobalt division of this company, we're not going to see the combustible engine, the gas fueled engine go away anytime soon globally, are we?
3: No, I mean, I think it's certainly going to change over time, but it's going to take 20 to 30 years, if not more, before we see the majority of the cars out there are electric as opposed to gas and diesel.
0: And with the price of palladium being comparable to the price of gold, I'm assuming that number, $1,500 per ounce, is Canadian, so it's, it's very comparable to the price of gold. It has more of an industrial use. It's less speculative, more or less. So the market for it, considering its scarcity and the amount that you have, should be substantial.
3: Yes, I mean, there's been several reports by companies that follow the industry very closely. Top analysts this year, and they're they're projecting the you know, price to uh, remain fairly constant in terms of these higher prices for the next few years. So it sure looks good for palladium. They're basically saying that platinum prices will increase too, and that's their second most important metal in
0: the project. What are your thoughts on lithium? And I understand that your answer is going to be biased, but we've seen some interesting swings in this sector. And by interesting, I don't mean necessarily positive, but the supply is still an issue.
3: I mean, if you look at over the next 10, 20, 30 years, there's going to be tremendous demand for lithium and simply because of the electric cars and the battery storage and whatever so there was a bit of a a boom in 16 and 17 when prices were quite a lot higher but no i think it's a good place to be and a good metal to be looking for and we're much less developed in terms of our river valley project already at a preliminary economic assessment we're just really at the drilling stage in our lithium division so we're a few years away from building a resource and, and eventually hopefully getting Something that we have because we have eight projects to production. But no, I, I think it's a good place to be long term, and the price of lithium will
0: certainly come back. Now, full disclosure as you know, and our audience may or may not know, I am a shareholder of New Age Metals, and I'm in for the long haul. I'm not a trader. What would you say to my fellow shareholders as far as the company going ahead a year or two and our positions?
3: It's a funny market. The junior exploration market, for the people who have been following the last couple of years, is certainly being hit very hard in terms of valuations. And of course, I think, as you say, uh, Most CEOs are biased, but if you look at some of these companies, especially like ours, I mean, we have a $8 million market cap and and, and literally uh, billions of dollars of metal in the ground. We're a long ways from getting it out, but the valuations certainly are not in sync at all. So I think in Canada, we've had a a lot of our venture capital that we normally would have got, that being the junior mining sector, go into the cannabis sector. And as time goes on, I think you'll see some of that money coming back to us and valuations improving so you know, in general, I think it's a very good time to be looking at the junior metal sector.
0: Let's review what you're doing with the lithium division right now, Harry.
3: We have eight projects now. We're in the province of Manitoba, not far from the capital, Winnipeg, near a mine that's been producing uh, from a pegmatite since 1969. We need to have a pegmatite rock. In the rock, we're looking for a spodumene, and in this spodumene, we will find our lithium. So we've had a couple major changes in the area we are. The mine that we're literally surrounded with our claims recently bought for about $135 million by a good-sized Chinese group. There's three different metals that they're working on there uh, Rare Earths, and they plan to get the lithium going in their mine that's right beside it. So that's going to be good, and it may well be a source for us someday, and literally we're joined on to the side of the mine and have eight properties in that vicinity. So we have two of the properties where we're making drill applications, and we're hoping to get those applications through in the next couple of months, and we want to get out there drilling these
0: projects. And let's talk about Alaska, if you don't mind. I'm going back a few months. It's been a while since we've had some news there. What's happening with Alaska, if anything, coming up soon?
3: Alaska is a platinum group metal. It's platinum first and palladium second, and then it has some very good copper nickel values. And it's called Genesis. We have the right to own 100% of it, just a couple more payments and we will have it. And we are actively every day out soliciting to try and find a joint venture partner for this year to help us develop that project. So typically it takes summer to come and some of these companies that we've been talking to get out and take a look at what we're doing. But our goal is to find a joint venture partner and joint venture that project. So that we have the Funding coming from a second party to, to further develop it. So we're working hard to. To find that partner now.
0: And I stand corrected when we talked about palladium earlier in the show, we mentioned a price of $1,600. That is U.S., so it is above the price of gold.
3: That is U.S., and that's something to mention. Uh, as Canadians, you know, there's about a 30% difference in the dollar, so we would add that on to the price of palladium. So, you know, we'd be looking at $1,800, $1,900 for uh, palladium in Canada. So it's a substantial price. We've never seen anything like it.
0: Harry, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much for joining us today on the program.
3: Thanks for having us, Ellis. I've been speaking with Harry Barr, the
0: chairman and CEO of New Age Metals, trading as NAM on the TSX Venture Exchange and NMTLF in the U.S. For more information, go to the company's website, newagemetals.com. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me for a conversation with Chris Taylor, the president and CEO of Great Bear Resources, trading as GBR on the TSX Venture Exchange and as GTBDF in the U.S., In 2015, Great Bear entered an agreement to acquire the Dixie Mining Claims in Ontario's prolific Red Lake Gold Mining District, where Great Bear is now earning a 100% interest in 49 mining claims. In November 2016, Great Bear nearly doubled its position in the Red Lake Mining District with its acquisition of the West Matson Gold Project, an on-strike extension of Pure Gold's high-grade Matson Project. Between the two projects and recent land acquisitions, Great Bear now has an agreement in place to control 13,000 hectares of respective greenstone belts. Recent drill results in the hind Zone include as high as 1,602.73 grams per ton of gold. I'm speaking today with Mr. Taylor at the Metals Investor Forum in Toronto, Canada. Chris, welcome to the program. Thank you for joining me here in Toronto. Hey, Ellis. It's great to be here. Great to be here with some fantastic news. Between now and a year ago, your company has come a long way. You're one of the biggest stories that everyone's talking about. Tell us about Great Bear. It actually
4: took nearly 10 years to get us to the point where we're at now. So usually these small companies, people are with them in the month timescale. This is my ninth year with Great Bear. So it took a long time to get the company ready, the projects owned, the financing, the board, everything constructed. Nine years of work to be an overnight success.
0: That's funny. That's usually the way it is with a quote-unquote overnight success. And I guess your vision must have been big, your stamina was large, (laughs) and you had some good science behind
4: it. Yeah, that's right. Well, my partner Bob Singh and I were both geologists by training. So this is an example of a company where science drove the discovery and reinterpretation of past work on the project was really what led to us finding all the high-grade gold that we're finding today.
0: Did you anticipate the extent of the high-grade gold?
4: No, there was no way to do that before we began to drill it. But we did know when we got involved in the property that there was 150 odd drill holes with gold in them over a couple kilometers of area. So that showed us we were part of a big system. What we didn't know was that there would be so much high-grade gold in that system.
0: Well, I understand after having dinner with one of your geologists last night that those quote-unquote historic holes were willy-nilly all over the place and nobody really done any horizontal drilling at all.
4: The work that we did was effectively fixing up some of the historical data, making sure those holes were in the right place, going in the right direction. You can imagine that if you're looking at a drill project and some of the holes are mislocated by 300 feet, <laughs> there's probably some cleanup work to be done. Much of the drilling was done, I think, in the late 80s. Is that true? Yeah, that's correct. Late 80s before modern GPS systems. And the rocks are really magnetic. So in fairness to the guys that were there, different vintages of work over a long time period. So holes were going the wrong direction. They were in the wrong place. Once we cleaned up the data, we saw we had consistent, steeply plunging, high grade gold zones much like the other big deposits in Red Lake. Let's mention some of those grades right now for new listeners to the program. Well some of the results that we've drilled recently I think the highest that we've seen let's go with the splashy headline numbers over 50 ounces per ton so 1,600 grams per ton just over 100 meters vertically from surface. The drilling that we've done recently in our new hinge zone discovery there's almost 40 holes into that now about 60 percent of the drill holes that go into it are hitting over 10 gram per ton gold material at very shallow depths. This is even for the Red Lake District, which is known for high-grade gold. These are exceptional results.
0: And in that Red Lake District, you have, correct me if I'm wrong, about 9,100 hectares. Is that right? I believe it's more than that.
4: The Dixie Project by itself is about that size. So uh, our other properties added on to that, it would be larger. So the Dixie property that we're mostly talking about, it's about 25 kilometers long, end-to-end, 23 kilometers to be exact.
0: How far will you step this out? Do you have the resources to do it? All sorts of questions. So I'll just let you go. Well, what we saw in uh,
4: some of the government data recently, like some of your list, listeners may be aware that seismic work is done. These are seismic surveys in the oil and gas industry. So they use these vibrating trucks and what have you so they can predict the structures in the ground. Well, the government of Ontario did that over the Red Lake camp and that work predicted that there'd be two locations in the Red Lake district where big structures go down deep in the crust and these potentially control where the big gold systems are. One of them is at the main Red Lake mine trend, which has a global resource of over 50 five zero million ounces of gold, and over 30 three zero million ounces of gold produced. The other one is on our
0: property. What is your plan for the next few years with all this information? Because quite honestly, Chris, I've not heard a story like this.
4: We are now fully financed to drill for about two years uninterrupted with multiple drill rigs without requiring to go back to the market. So what that means is probably very likely a larger volume of drill results, more drill holes, hundreds of drill holes coming out of Great Bear over the next two-year period. We don't need to finance during that time period to get more money to do it. We have the money, right? That means that there'll be more gold results, presumably, if we continue to be successful, coming out of Great Bear. A gold system that goes right to surface about a mile from the road, just outside of Red Lake, generating hundreds and hundreds of drill results over the next two-year period. It should be the kind of story that if anybody is interested in high-grade new gold discoveries, this should at least be on the radar screen.
0: Well, it sort of makes other stories a little bit less relevant. Some other stories, at any rate, we're not going to rain on anyone's parade in the sector. But after this, I mean, what's next? And obviously, Rob McEwen has gotten involved. He didn't hesitate. Rob has made a bit of money in the Red Lake District before. He was obviously
4: instrumental in the Gold Corp discovery of the high-grade zone, this underground zone. We have maps. If anybody's interested, they can go to our website www.greatbearresources.ca. They can go to that website and you'll see maps and presentations of our data. One of the key points that we show is that the high-grade zone discovery at Gold Corpse Mine has the same geographic footprint as the discovery that we're looking at on our Dixie property right now. The same size of footprint, the same types of distributions of gold. It's folded rocks, gold on each side of the fold, and gold concentrated around the middle. At the main, mine at over a mile vertical depth. They made a big discovery that brought gold corp from hundreds of millions of market cap to I think their peak was 37 billion dollars of market cap as a company, and they built that value off of acquisitions, mining various projects, but the core of it was always this high grade zone that was being mined at great depths in the Red Lake district. What we have found is something that looks very similar in terms of the geology and the way the gold is distributed, but ours is right right at the surface. So ours goes right to the surface. So this is why Great Bear has been exciting to many people, because we see that we have the potential for a big, high-grade gold system, and we're drilling now to prove it.
0: Now, Gold Corp is divesting, probably, we don't know this for a fact, but they're most likely divesting in other parts of the world with their recent merger with Newmont, and there's a lot of consolidation going on right now. You're not a producer, correct? No, not yet, no. Oh, not yet. So there is a plan to go into production with you and this
4: company specifically. There could be. I mean, as a junior mining exploration company, right. you always have to be ready. My background is in production mining. I used to work for a producing copper gold company. So we put, for instance, a high-grade gold project into production in Nevada. That's called Sterling. It was recently sold to Core Mining just last year. So that's a project I was involved with for a long time. It's generally a different set of personnel that you need to produce and to mine than it is to Explorer, right? They're overlapping skill sets, but they're not the same. So with this company, what we have is a very exciting discovery on our hands. I'm not aware of other companies in recent history that have made this kind of discovery and have not gone into some sort of transactional event with a bigger producer. So that's a possible outcome for us, but obviously we have to be ready long-term to credibly advance the project through all the economic studies and other stages that it needs in order to get it into mining. So we're going to cover all of the bases that we can.
0: I know you turned down some semi-ridiculous offers about a year ago. Are you going to continue to turn down offers until you fully explore what you've got? Well, what we see now is, in our view, and remember, you're talking to an extremely
4: biased source of information here, right? You're talking to somebody who thinks we have one of the best new gold discoveries in the world right now. So if that's the case, we currently have done well over the last year. We've gone from about a $4 million market cap to $130 million market cap. Canadian dollars but in the context of other discoveries like this historically we are very very small still. So our job is to take the drill rig and show people exactly how big this system can be. We don't know yet but if it's as big as what we think it is and what it looks like it should be quite a bit more valuable than what's being attributed to the company right now.
0: And you've done a great job. Your team has done a great job of managing the share structure. Yes, that's extremely important for us. So there's always
4: a temptation with mineral exploration companies to take money from any source that you can get it, right? So what that means is you end up taking back the shares from every source that you gave it to. In a company like Great Bear, management are significant shareholders. Rob McEwen recently put in six million dollars into the company. When he did that, management put in a million and a half dollars alongside him. That was at $1.45 quite recently. So we put our money where our mouth is, and that's what we want to see. We want to benefit as shareholders, not just as paid management of the company.
0: Well, Chris, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for joining me today on the program here in Toronto. I look forward to future conversations down the road. Thanks very much, Ellis. Anytime. I've been speaking with Chris Taylor, the president and CEO of Great Bear Resources, trading as GBR on the TSX Venture Exchange and as GTBDF in the US. Find the Great Bear logo on our website, ellismartinreport.com, and click through to their website for more information. I'm Ellis Martin. You've just heard opinion, commentary, and dissertation involving publicly traded companies seeking your potential investment. they paid us for the proof. Invest at your own risk and only after doing extensive research. Find our sponsors
2: and listen to segments of this program again on our website, ellismartinreport.com.